0: Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We hope that you'll be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. I want to start this morning by bringing to your remembrance some of the things that we've heard over the past few weeks because God's been talking and God's been ministering to us as a fellowship in a very powerful way. Amen? I believe there's a new dimension that God is adding to our spiritual family. God's adding something. There's a new wind of His Spirit. And His greatest desire, obviously, is when He is moving, that we move with Him. Pastor Frank, for, for two weeks, ministered some really interesting things to us, and I want to pick up on the same flow, so that there's, we, we can journey with God as these things grow in our hearts and build line upon line, precept upon precept. About three weeks ago, Pastor Frank ministered that there are three things that happen to us when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. Any of you remember what they are? Transformation? You see, the Holy Spirit clearly came upon you. You remembered. That's impressive. What else? He activates the sleeping potential that is within you, that God has placed, your giftings, your callings, and he enables you to correctly exercise kingdom dominion. You remember that? In other words, there's an empowerment that comes upon us that is not our own, that we can't conjure up But that Holy Spirit working in us and through us takes us to another dimension. The following week he built on that and he spoke about the fire of the Spirit. How many of you remember that? Can you remember what fire does? Hey, the Spirit is moving in this place. (laughs) Fire purifies. Amen? When the fire of the Spirit comes, conviction is there because we see ourselves through His eyes. And it ignites in us a passion for the Word of God, a passion for prayer, a real desire. You know, sometimes we're apathetic concerning these things. But when the Holy Spirit begins to move, He gives us a hunger that is from the Lord for the Word of God, for prayer, and also for fellowship. And also, when the fire of the Spirit falls, the bondages of the enemy are destroyed. They are burned up. Last week, Pastor Andreas ministered to you. Can anybody remember what he spoke on? <laughs> oh, Dad. <laughs> Let me... Well done, Siobhan. Let Yeah, I see it's not a popular subject. Obedience is something we've got to do. So, ah, that one. Spoke about obedience. Pastor Andreas said that there is no substitute for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of every believer. In other words, there are some things that you and I will never be able to do, to walk the Christian walk in our own ability. We all know that, right? But to live that, to do that, is a whole other ball game. He said each one of us needs to engage with the Spirit in a personal way to be activated for service. He said obedience to the Lord's words is the only key that unlocks and releases the power of the Holy Spirit within us. I wasn't even here last week and I know what he said. <laughs> I want to meet you this morning where I believe many of you may be. I want to meet you this morning in a place where I feel I am. Because we hear these incredible words and we believe them. I, I, we believe them with all our heart. But how is it that we engage with them in such a way that we are able to enter into them, that they move beyond theory, they move beyond doctrine or preaching, they move beyond something that an anointed man of God can do into something that's practical in my heart and in my life every single day, in dealing with myself, my flesh, my weaknesses, my insecurities, and also being a witness of the love and the power of God. You see, it's one thing to put that expectation on the preacher, on the firefold ministry man. Trust me, I feel the pressure you're putting on me here this morning. I'm joking, no pressure. I feel none. I know I can't do any of that. But yet God has called and anointed and gifted every single one of us to walk and to live in the power of His Spirit. Amen. And so we need to move beyond this positional reality of knowing that Holy Spirit is within us. He dwells in our hearts. We know that. And move beyond that into the practical outworking or the reality of that presence where it becomes experiential. Because, folks, you know as well as I do, we can listen to sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon and pray and pray and read and yet remain unchanged. How many of you know that? What God desires to do in and among us is to make our head knowledge of Him experiential. And the only way that happens is not by more might and not by more trying and not by more striving. It is by the Spirit of God. It is by the Spirit of God. So God expects something of us which He knows we do not have the capacity to do. Do you know that? Every demand that Jesus makes to walk in love. Do you know that you and I, in our own ability, don't have the capacity to do that? We need the power of the Spirit. We need Him to transform our hearts, to transform our motivations. I was so blessed listening to Pastor Andreas' message last week. Uh, The one one aspect that really stood out for me, and it it hit home, I've heard it how many times before over the years, that when when he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, he came out of his house and everything around him had changed. Nothing had changed, but everything had changed. Why? Suddenly he had a love within him with which he wanted to embrace every single person he knew and every single person he met. In order for this kind of Holy Spirit-empowered life to become a reality, there is a role you and I have to play. And like, like we shared, Pastor Andreas mentioned the role of obedience, that obedience is the key. We cannot do it without obedience, amen? But I want to ask you this morning, where does obedience stem from? What is the root of obedience? And I want to suggest to you this morning that true obedience begins in the place of true surrender. Without genuine surrender of our hearts, we can put on outward conformance. We can perform and do things but the Holy Spirit is not in them. To experience the power of the Holy Spirit, we need to be willing to surrender. Surrender my will and surrender my glory, my ambitions, my dreams, all to Jesus. He himself said it in in Luke 9, verse 23. He said, If anyone wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Give up your own way, Take up your cross daily and follow me. Jesus said it out from the very beginning. This is the first point. And like I said, this is not just outward conformance or a religious practice. This is not a formula. This is not an if you do this then. This is an attitude of surrender, an attitude that says, I will follow wherever you lead. I like the way the message puts this verse. It says, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. Isn't that simple? You're not in the driver's seat. I am. And I think that analogy is such a beautiful one. Because when you let somebody else drive you, you're entrusting both your life and your destination into their hands. Amen? That can be more nerve-wracking with some than with others. But every time you climb in the car and you're not driving, you are not in control. You are trusting the person that is behind that wheel. And this is really what Christ is talking about. The essence of my message today, folks, from beginning to end, is very, very simple. It's about a transfer and a realignment of confidence from self to Him. A few days ago, we were house-sitting or, or just looking after my nieces and, 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 my niece and nephews, and my nephew is now 17. He's getting his learners and, and all these things, and so... I was parked outside and I said to him, come. Because he doesn't have his parents don't have cars with, with a clutch. They've got automatic. So I said, come, let's move. Let's move the TAS. It was in the Taz. So we had to reverse the Taz and just pull it into the driveway. So I had to relinquish a bit of control. There was much instruction that went on. <laughs> and then I relinquished control and let him do the stuff. And I must say it was a bit nerve-wracking. He did well. First time. In a, in, I mean, I remember my first time in a clutch-controlled car. I don't know if any of you did this, but I did the U B G B shake. That was my first experience, that poor clutch. He did very well. But there did come a point where he was cruising in the driveway a little faster towards the garage than I had um, uh, anticipated. I said, okay, stop. <laughs> and then he wasn't, still, he wasn't quite in the right place. So I, there came a point where I said, all right, I'll just do this last little bit, because you get this a little bit wrong, and we're in trouble, and then your parents are not going to be pleased with me, never mind my wife, this is her car, shh, don't tell her, and so anyways, I did the last little bit, but there was a point where I was willing to relinquish control, but there was another point where I felt I needed to take it back, and you know, sometimes, now look, I'm not comparing my nephew to Jesus, he does know how to drive a stick shift or a manual car, he is okay with that. But isn't it the same with us? We, we relinquish control for a little while. We like to relinquish control on a Sunday morning. But we like to take it back on Monday. No, not that way, Jesus. The, the shortest way is this way. This is the best route. They've got roadworks that way. It's going to take us longer, to which he's saying, yes, I want you to learn patience, my boy. But we think we know better. If we want to experience the flow and the power of the Holy Spirit... We need to come to the place where we have relinquished confidence in our own ability to get to where God wants to take us. It's not in the methods, it's not in the striving. And I want to read to you some words that the Apostle Paul wrote, Paul wrote in the book of Philippians, chapter 3. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, I'm going to start in verse 3. And you know, I want you to understand, so often when we talk about the flesh, we might even get onto this again a little bit later, we think about the negative things, we think about the lust of the flesh, the bad things. And look, obviously it includes all of those things, but you know what? The weakness of the flesh is not in the actions that we do. The weakness of the flesh is in a will that is set against God. In a will, let me put it this way, that desires to do its own thing. In a will that desires to exert itself upon our lives. And when I became a Christian, and when you became a Christian, what is the commitment we made? We said, Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. And therefore, I need to understand that everything that I associate with my will, my abilities, my gifts, puts focus and expectation on myself to perform. Listen to what Paul says. He says, For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. In other words, the old flesh is cut off. We rely on what Jesus Christ has done for us, and we put no confidence in human effort. No confidence. You see, though, I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. And here he goes. He says, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if ever there was one. I am a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. If anybody can brag in their efforts, it's me, is what he's saying. And then he goes on to say this, I once thought these things were valuable. What does he mean by that, folks? He identified himself by them. He had a sense of pride, of nationalistic pride, of religious pride, that he could do these things, and that made him high, that made him important, that made him powerful, and we know what kind of person he was when he walked in that mindset. He says, but now I consider these things, these human qualifications, these attributes for honor, worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. And for this sake, for what sake? Of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with Him. I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I, became, I become righteous through faith in Christ, for God's way of making us right with Himself depends on faith. I want you to know... Oh, sorry, he says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised Him from the dead. Who is the mighty power that raised Him from the dead? Holy Spirit. And Paul here is saying, I want to know Christ and that mighty power. I want to suffer with Him, share in His death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Paul here is saying, I am willing to lay aside all comfort, all privilege, all that gives me any measure of status. I am willing to suffer, if needs be, to do whatever it takes. I'm willing to renounce all my own abilities, all my qualifications that I may know. Now this word know is a very important word. It's a Greek word. And it's the word yinosko. and I said it right? Yinosko. 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 I always get the accents in the wrong places. You know the Greek word gnosis means to know something up here. It's knowledge. Ginosko means to know it experientially. You know, Paul writes to the Romans, I think it's Romans 12:2, where it says, Don't be conformed to this will, be transformed through the renewing of your mind that you may know, that you may prove for yourself what is the good and the perfect and acceptable will of God. Paul is praying the same thing here. I want you to know, not just in your head, that the Holy Spirit lives in you. Not just in your mind that He is powerful and He can work miracles. Not just that He can do certain things, but that He, I want you to know it because He is doing it in your life. You are cooperating with Him. You are experiencing the fullness of this. And he prays along the same lines for the church in Ephesus. He says, Ephesians 3, 16-19, praying that God would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with all might through His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints the width, the depth, the length, the height, to know, yinosko, the love of Jesus Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What is the fullness of God? It's who He is. It's not separate from Him. Amen? Do you understand that? It's not like God stands apart from you and pours things on you. The power of the Holy Spirit is the presence of the Holy Spirit as we follow His leading and allow Him to do in and through us what He desires to do. You see, there's a difference between our position in Christ and our condition in Christ. Our position in Christ has to do with the finished work of Jesus in our justification. We are saved. But our condition in Christ has to do with our level of sanctification. Whether or not we are living in the flesh as carnal believers, or whether we are being led and living in the life of the Spirit a beautiful life that Jesus repeatedly invites us into as an invitation. You see, for many of us, though we may know about spiritual realities, we still place great value on our own abilities and our own desires. Paul again writes to the church in Galatia this time, and he says to them in Galatians 5, verses 16 to 18, Walk in the Spirit. And you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What is a lust? A lust is a desire for gratification. That's all it is. You can have sexual lust. That's normally the common connotation that's associated with it. But you can lust after food. You can lust after money. You can lust after power. It's the desires in you that long for gratification. He says, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill these lusts, these desires that are there in your flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another. They are contrary. They are the complete opposite. So that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. In fact, the Passion Translation says, when you yield to the life of the Spirit, you will no longer be living under the law, but soaring above it. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that powerful? In other words, I'm no longer trying to read what I need to do and try to live by it. There's something within me that is motivating me and leading me by which I live and move and have my being, which supersedes the law. It's the fulfillment of the law in the power of the Spirit. You see, law's weakness is found in your and my inability to keep it. (laughs) Amen? But the Spirit of God, when He works, He enables us to soar above it. He goes on in verse 24 to say, Those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with all its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. You know, it's very easy for us to become conceited. In other words, we've had a taste of the Holy Spirit. We've had a measure of of Jesus. He's impacted our life. Maybe we've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. We've spoken in other tongues. We've maybe prophesied or given words of knowledge. Maybe we've prayed for people to be healed. And you know what? Now we know how to do it, right? That's conceit. We've come to the place where we've now lent on our experience, we're leaning on what we think we know because some stuff has happened in us or through us, and we forget that that's all God. And we don't remember or realise just how dependent upon Him we really and truly are. You know, you and I are dependent on God for our very next breath. We take so much for granted. And we ascribe to ourselves so much ability way beyond what we are capable of. David had it right when he said, What is man that you are mindful of him? What power do we have? What power do I have? Nothing. Nothing but Jesus. Nothing but the Holy Spirit who dwells in me. I recently finished reading a book by Peter J. Madden in which he said, When we have no confidence in ourselves, then our whole trust rests upon the authority of mighty God. When our trust is in God, then God brings us into victory. When our trust is in God, He brings us into that place. Smith Wigglesworth said, The baptism of the Holy Spirit has come for nothing less than to eat up my whole life. Isn't that beautiful? We pray, Lord God, we want the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Really? That means the death of everything that you have, everything that you are, every ambition, every desire, that you can be filled completely with Him. You see, again, we look to Jesus who set the ultimate example in this regard. John six thirty eight said, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of Him who sent me. And how did He do that? We see it on the cross. John 23, 46. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He gave God the will. You need to understand that when Jesus said this, He was committing His eternal outcome of His now sin-stained life into God's hands. Let's understand this. This is after Jesus had said, God, why have you forsaken me? This is where he is now bodily bearing the sin, the sickness, (coughs) excuse me, the shame of the entire world. And in that condition, he looks up to his Father and he says, As I am, I commit myself into your hands. Absolute relinquishment, absolute trust. In the Father and in the power of the Spirit. What did God do with that? We know. He raised Him from the dead by the power of the Spirit. Amen? We know this, right? And I want to say this to you, that what God did for Christ, He will do for you too. Romans 8, verse 11 to 17, listen to what Paul writes. He says, but if the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. What kind of life are we talking about here? Eternal life, the very life of God, the life force of God. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Our own will, our own desires, our own abilities. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Daddy. Daddy. When my children run to me, when I get home in the evenings and they throw themselves headlong into my arms and they shout, Daddy! They're entrusting themselves to me. I pick them up. I hold them. I love them. I'm strong enough to do whatever I want to with them. But they trust me. And I hold them close to my heart. And I kiss them. And I tell them I love them. He says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God, and if children, heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, heirs of what? Heirs of the promise, heirs of the Spirit of God, if indeed we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified together with him. The real question in all of these things is this simple question. Are you willing to let Jesus drive? Truly. To truly allow him to have his way. You see, spiritually, spiritual maturity is tightly tethered to our level of dependency on God. We often think that those who are spiritually mature are those who are less dependent on God. But it's actually the opposite that is true. It's those who have come to the end of themselves and trust Him wholeheartedly. Some people come to the end of themselves through traumatic experiences. Where they are left with no other option and in that place they find God. Sometimes it's through sickness, sometimes it's through relationships that break apart. It's through brokenness that we find God. When that will in ourselves breaks. That's why David says, it's not sacrifice you want, Lord God, but a broken and a contrite heart. A heart that is not self-willed. These, O God, you will not despise. But I want to say, we can choose to abandon all confidence in ourselves. It does not have to come through trauma. We can choose to hand over the wheel. You see, I think so much of what we ascribe to life in the Spirit in our thinking moves us to expect only powerful manifestations outwardly. Outward manifestations are good, and they are evidence of the Holy Spirit at work. But you know where he begins? Powerful manifestations internally. We find God in those quiet moments when we realize that we have nothing of value to bring. In those moments when we don't know what to do, and God's Spirit breathes on us. In those moments when we are lost, when we feel insecure, when we have no hope, that's where we find the grace and the power of God. When we abandon all confidence and eventually say, God, I've tried everything that I can, and I'm still coming up short. And God says, I know. I'm so glad you finally come to me because there are things I want to do for you that you cannot do. Things I want to do in you, things I want to do through you that you need me to do. But I need you to get out the way. I need you to resign. I need you to get out of the driver's seat and let me have my way. We can choose to make the journey to the end of ourselves. To be raw and real and honest with God raw and real and honest with ourselves and allow His Spirit to do what only He can. Dallas Willard says, God's address is at the end of your rope. When you've come to the end of yourself, that's where we discover life in the Spirit. I've been in two minds as to whether I should share this with you, but I think I'm going to. We have a little bit of time I was so touched yesterday by a blog, and I want to read you. I won't read you the whole thing, but I'm going to read you a blog post. Uh, Somebody sent this to me. Many of you know what um, America's Got Talent is. It's the talent contest. People go up, they sing, they do various things. There was a young lady, she calls herself Nightbird when she sings. Her name is Jane Markzewski, I think it is. And this young lady got the golden buzzer from Simon Cowell, which means a lot, it says a lot. And her story is fascinating. She's had cancer so many times. She's in her early 30s. She was standing there bored. She sang her song. Very brave woman. Uh, Said some some great things. But I want to read you just a portion of her blog. And the blog is called God is on the Bathroom Floor. And this is her coming to terms with her situation, coming to terms with where she is. Let me read to you some of the things she says. After the doctor told me I was dying and after the man I married said he didn't love me anymore, I chased a miracle in California, and 16 weeks later, I got it. The cancer was gone. But my brain caught up with it all, and something broke. I later found out that all the tragedy at once had caused a physical head trauma and my brain was sending false signals of excruciating pain and panic. I spent three months propped against the wall. On nights that I could not sleep, I laid in the tub like an insect, staring at my reflection in the shower knob. I vomited until I was hollow. I rolled up under my robe on the tiles. The bathroom floor became the place to hide where I could scream and be ugly, where I could sob and spit and eventually doze off, happy to be asleep, even with my head on the toilet. I've had cancer three times now. And I've barely passed 30. There are times when I wonder what, it must be, what I must have done to deserve this to deserve such a story, I feel sometimes that when I die and meet with God that, I will say, that he will say I disappointed him or I offended him or I failed him. Maybe he'll say I just never learned the lesson or that I wasn't grateful enough. But one thing I know is for sure, he can never say that he did not know me. I am God's downstairs neighbor. I love this. Banging on the ceiling with a broomstick. I show up at his door every day, sometimes with songs, sometimes with curses, sometimes apologies, gifts, questions, demands. Sometimes I use my key under the mat and let myself in. Sometimes I sulk outside until he opens the door to me himself. Call me bitter if you want to. That's fair. Count me among the angry, the cynical, the offended the hardened, but count me also among the friends of God, for I have seen him in rare form. I have felt his exhale, laid in his shadow, squinted to read the message he wrote for me in the grout. I'm sad too. Call me cursed, call me lost, call me scorned, but that's not all. Call me chosen, blessed, sought after. Call me the one God whispers His secrets to. Even on days when I'm not so sick, sometimes I go and lay on the mat in the afternoon light just to listen for Him. I know it sounds crazy and I can't really explain it, but God is in there even now. I've heard it said that some people can't see God because they won't look low enough. And it's true. If you can't see Him, look lower. God is on the bathroom floor. That touched me. I think so often we look for God, we look for the power of the Spirit, we look for things that they're grandiose, they're out there. You know where God meets us, it's in the honesty and the sincerity within ourselves when we are willing to get low enough to acknowledge the junk that's going on in there. Not to overlook it but to let the fire of His Spirit come in to purify, to cleanse, to empower, to give grace. So that in the midst of whatever it is we're going through, we see ourselves as the chosen, as the called, as the blessed, as the empowered by the Spirit. And we begin to walk out a life that is inspired in those moments and shows itself throughout our everyday life. Every one of us has battles. Every one of us has trials. Every one of us has our own journey. This isn't about who's, who's worse off and who's got what. It's not about that. It's about where, where is God meeting you? Where is the power of His Spirit bringing transformation in your heart? The only thing you and I can do is surrender. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.